God without limits. And we're thinking about God being unchanging. Now, when I say the word change, what comes to mind? If it was a word association game and you had to put change with something else, what would you put with it? Just turn to a neighbour for a second. What comes to mind when you think of the word change and what other words might go with it um, in how we talk about it in our world? Okay, let's come back together. I heard everything from political change to nappy changes uh, in the conversations. Um, Climate change, changes in identity, sexuality, personal change in fitness programmes, life hacks, that kind of thing. Uh, Changes in circumstances, going from school to university to a job um, and beyond. Changes in preferences. Um, I remember... Years ago, Block Party were the band that I listened to more than any other. I don't know if anyone knows Block Party. I haven't listened to them for about five years, but our music preferences uh, change, don't they? Change is is everywhere. I'm sure you you talked about others uh, in your pairs. And because change is everywhere, I wonder if, like me, you've ever found yourself longing for sameness, longing for things not to change. I wonder if you've experienced this when you've walked into a a room, maybe a familiar room or a familiar house. Maybe it was the house that you grew up in or a place that you always went to on holidays. Um, And you go into one of these rooms and just breathe a sigh of relief because everything is in its rightful place. The same clock is on the wall. The same sofa is there with the same lumps in it and you know where to sit on it. Um, The favourite mug is still in the cupboard. The same view is out the window. Isn't there something comforting about sameness? Now, I've kept hold of this um, A4 folder for about 15 years. I think I had it when I was an undergraduate student, um, and I've still got it. This is where I keep all of my work that I'm currently working on during the week. And I don't know why I've kept kept this, um, other than the fact that I like things to stay um, the same. We have a longing for, for sameness. Now, children know that, don't they, as they snuggle down with the favourite toy that they like to sleep with. Maybe not just children, maybe, maybe adults. <laughs> or we might have the same feeling with clothes. You know, maybe an old woolly jumper that we love wearing and that we've, we feel uh, like we would never want to get rid of. We live in a changing world, change all over the place. Um, but we long for the familiar, for the for sameness and for stability. And as we crave for that, um, for the immovable, uh, something that doesn't change... We find in the Bible, and we're going to be thinking about this tonight, a God who is just like that. A God who's described as a rock, a God who does not change, a God who is the same yesterday, today and forever. So we're going to start um, by thinking about God, then we're going to be thinking about ourselves. So firstly, God. um, God does not change. Now, there are several aspects of God's uh, unchangeable uh, nature that we could focus on tonight. I just want to look at two. Um, And these two are are the following, uh, that God has a character that does not change and that his words don't change. So we're going to look at those two things in turn. Firstly, God's character never changes. Now, I know this is really obvious to say, and I get paid to do this kind of thing, but when something in our world changes, it either changes for the better or for the worse. Got that? That's what changes. Either something changes for the better or for the worse. There's either a progression or there is a, there's a regression. The very definition of change is that something doesn't stay the same. But with God, the creator God, there is no possibility of him changing. He's perfect in every way and so there's no need for him to improve in any way. He, I know this isn't a word, but he is unimprovable. You could write that down. He's unimprovable. There are no aspects of his character that we think, oh, I wish 
God would change that about who he is. He's, he's unimprovable. There's, he's perfect in every way. He doesn't need to go on a self-improvement project. He can never change for the better, and neither can he change for the worse. Let's look at these three passages through the Bible that make this really clear. So firstly, some words from Psalm 102 uh, that we looked at last week. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them and they will be discarded. But you remain the same and your years will never end. Sometimes my children get into a a dressing up frenzy where they just want to wear every piece of clothing in the dressing up box. We had one of these this afternoon um, with the students who came over, um, well, the students weren't getting dressed up, but our children were getting dressed up. Uh, one minute, Woody from Toy Story. The next minute, Elsa from Frozen. The next minute, a ballerina. Um, clothing is something we change and experiment with, isn't it? It's different one day to the next, unless you're Barack Obama or Mark Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs, as we thought about in the sermon uh, last week. But the psalmist says that the heavens and earth are like that. They will wear out like an old jumper might wear out. The cosmos, the whole cosmos will get a wardrobe change. God will make them new, but God remains the same. Um, As we see in verse 27, um, he is eternal and he is eternally the same. The heavens might wear out, the heavens might be changed, but God will not. He will remain the same for all eternity. Have a look at Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. I think verse 6 is a statement we can build our lives on, isn't it? I, the Lord, do not change. And in the second half of verse 6, that brings comfort to the people of God. I don't change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. God has made promises to his people. He's promised to rescue them and protect them and forgive them and God will stay true to his word he will he will never change and so they can be sure of his promises finally let's come into the new testament and have a look at James uh, chapter 1 that makes uh, a similar point so James chapter 1 verses 16 to 18 just listen to how God is described in these verses don't be deceived my dear brothers and sisters every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Interesting description of God here, isn't it? The father of the heavenly lights. As you read about in Genesis chapter one, God created the stars and he created the sun to rule the day and the moon to rule the night those two great lights in the sky. I think this is what James is wanting us to focus on in verse 17. The sun and the moon are changing lights, aren't they, which cast different shadows depending on the time of the day and the time of the year. In the morning, the sun casts one shadow. In the evening, it casts a different one. We might see solar eclipses um, and changes in these heavenly lights. But God is not like that. God doesn't change like shifting shadows. He doesn't cast one shadow one day and another shadow another day. God is not one being one day and a different being tomorrow. He is unchanging. Now, if we had time to apply this truth 
uh, to every single aspect of God's character. That would be a great series that we could do. And you might want to meditate on this in your own time. God is unchanging. What is he unchanging in? He's unchanging in his justice. He's unchanging in his holiness. He's unchanging in his power. He's unchanging in his will. He's unchanging in his grace. And let me just explore one of these a little bit more uh, with you. Uh, One aspect of his character. He's unchanging in his love. Unchanging in his love. When you walk into our house um, here in Lancaster and you look at the right hand side as you walk in, we've got a a, a picture there that you might have seen if you've been over to our house um, that some Chinese friends gave us one new year. It's a really precious gift uh, that they gave us. And it's the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in beautiful uh, Chinese calligraphy. You probably know the passage. It's read at weddings up and down our country. Um, It's a famous passage on love. And usually when people look at this passage, they focus their attention on human love. But I think the focus of this passage is not so much on human love, which is so often fleeting and changing, but on God's love, which never fails. Just have a listen to these words and and apply these words to God. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. These verses paint a wonderful portrait of love, don't they? But I read them and think this is not a self-portrait as I look at myself. Because my love is impatient. I do envy. I do boast. I'm proud. I'm self-seeking. I'm easily angered. I do keep a record of wrongs. I don't always protect. I don't always trust or hope or persevere. My love does fail. And so I see the wonderful description of love in this passage. And I pray it would describe me more and more. But the one it does describe perfectly is God, isn't it? He is the only one who those words never and always can apply to. You can't look at me and say, Joe's love, never, Joe, Joe's love never fails, because it does. And I can't look at you and say, your love never fails, because it does. But we can look at God, the unchanging God, who is unchanging in his love, and say with absolute confidence, his love is always patient, always kind, never self-seeking, never failing. His love is not like the dandelion clock love. He loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. His love is not like that. Rather, it's one immovable, unchanging truth. He loves me. And he will keep on loving me because his love never changes. He loves me at the end of an awful day of sin. He loves me at the end of a joyful day of Christian service. His love is an unchanging love. How marvellous, how wonderful is the Saviour's love for me. So God's character never changes. That's the first thing uh, to grasp this evening. But secondly, his word never changes. Now, if God is the God whose character never changes, I'm the Lord and I do not change, as we saw in Malachi, then he's also the God whose words never change. The trustworthiness of somebody's words depend on the trustworthiness of their character, don't they? If you trust me and I speak to you, um, then you'll believe, hopefully, what I'm saying to you. 
And the same can be applied to God because God's character is unchanged, because he is trustworthy, because he never fails, because he never lies. So it is with his word. Have a look with me at a few places where the Bible uh, talks about this. So in Numbers chapter 23, Balaam speaks on God's behalf and says this. God is not human that he should lie, nor a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfil? Answer, no. We're humans, aren't we? And as humans, we lie, we, we change our minds. But God is not like that. Why do we change our minds? Just think about that for a moment. Why do we change our minds? Well, one reason I think is because we receive new information, don't we, that we didn't have before. We thought one thing, then some new information comes, um, and so we reconsider and we change our minds. But there's nothing uncertain about the future for God. There's no new information that he's yet to discover that might change his mind. There's also nothing more powerful than him that might stop his purposes coming about. And so he speaks and he acts, he promises and he fulfills what he's promised and nothing can get in the way. He does all that he pleases. Look at how Isaiah talks about the same truth in chapter 55. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bird and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So when the rain comes down from heaven, as it does from time to time in Lancaster, it it always achieves its purpose, doesn't it? It waters the earth, causes the plants to bird and flourish and spring up. And as I say, so it is with the word of God. It doesn't return to him empty without achieving what he wanted it to achieve. It always accomplishes what he desires. It's powerful and it's effective. I thought about the TV show Mastermind as I was thinking about this. Anyone seen the TV show Mastermind? Mm -hmm. Classic. Hosts would read out a series of questions and if they were reading a question and the buzzer um, went for the end of the round... The presenter would say, I've started, so I'll finish. And God says that with every single promise and purpose that he makes. I've started, and so I will finish, and nothing will get in my way. He always comes through on his word. It's worth remembering that whenever you open the Bible and look at a promise of God in the pages of Scripture, we read these promises and we're reading the words of the unchanging, all-powerful God There's no promise that he can't keep. There's no word that he'll go back on. There's no ulterior motives in what he says. There's no hidden agenda behind his words. He speaks the truth. He utters his promises and he will fulfil them. Have a look at the quote from uh, Nick Tucker on the sheet in his book, uh, 12 Things God Can't Do, just on the other side of the page. He writes, we know that God will never reconsider a single promise or go back on even one word he has spoken. So we can build our entire lives on his word and trust him completely. I think we sang it this morning in church. Your words are wonderful, unfolding like the dawn, a wellspring and the rock we rest upon. I want to throw a spanner in the works that might have come up for you as we were thinking about this. Maybe a question that you've asked yourself at some point. Aren't there places in the Bible where it seems as though God does change his mind? 
Aren't there times when God says one thing, but then it seems as though he goes back on his word or regrets what he says? For example, Genesis 18, um, just before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, it seems as though Abraham is changing God's mind in the questions that Abraham is asking to God. So that's one example. Or we might think of the book of Jonah. There the prophet tells Nineveh that they will be overthrown, judged in 40 days, and then it doesn't happen. God, God seems to change his mind and doesn't send the judgment that was promised. Another example is the book of 1 Samuel, and I want us to think about uh, this example in 1 Samuel for a few minutes. Um, so just turn with me to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 15. And if somebody could shout out a page number, that would be really helpful. 286, thank you. Two hundred and eighty-six, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Now the Bible Overview group uh, looked at this passage, I think, last week. Is that right? Um, so I'm going to ask Isabel to come and explain it to us. <laughs> yeah, so they'll have some answers, I'm sure, some wisdom uh, to share. But I want you to notice uh, the problem that we see in 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is a chapter where Saul, King Saul blatantly disobeys God's word. The kingdom is torn from him and will be given to another And in the midst of this, we read verses 28 and 29. So look at 1 Samuel 15, verse 28. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbours, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. That's familiar, isn't it? Um, what the passage we looked at from Numbers earlier. God does not lie or change his mind like a human being because he's not, he's not a human being. And so when God says that the kingdom will be taken from Saul, it will happen. But then we have a couple of verses um, that I think uh, might puzzle us as Bible readers just surrounding uh, these couple of verses. Have a look at verse 10 and verse 11. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Then have a look down at verse 35 with me, verse 35. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So here's the problem. If God regrets, does that mean that he's changed his mind? Was there a time when God thought it would be a good idea to have Saul as king? But now it's all gone wrong and he wishes that he'd have done something different. Has God changed his mind? And this isn't just a problem for God's unchanging nature, but also for his foreknowledge. Did he know what was going to happen or has this taken him off guard? So on the one hand, verse 29, God does not lie or change his mind. On the other hand, God has regretted that he made Saul king and seems to change his mind about what he's done. So turning pairs, twos and threes, um, how would you begin to answer that problem? Um, Based on what you know about God, maybe what you know about 1 Samuel, just have a go. Uh, I know it's a hard question, but a couple of minutes together. Okay, let's come back together. So I think I gave you a different translation to what was in the Bible. I think you had grieved, or I think there's a... 
sort of interchangeable ideas there. Um, just for the sake of time, we're not going to hear uh, feedback, but um, I'm going to give you some thoughts. Then we can, we can take into dinner if we've still got questions. Um, and I'm sure some of these things were things that you said. So firstly, all of the language that God gives in the Bible is God accommodating himself to us, isn't it? We thought about that with God being incomprehensible and talking like a father with his children, letting us know what he's like, stooping down and revealing himself in words that we can understand. So that's one thing to say, just as we think about uh, language in the Bible. Um, second thing is that God can't be contradicting himself in his word. So it can't be that one thing is true here and something contrary is true here. He doesn't contradict himself in his word. Third thing is God knew exactly what Saul would do. In 1 Samuel. So you come to places like chapter 8, and God says that the king would be a king who takes and takes and takes. So God isn't caught off guard by what Saul has done. Chapter 12, we see that God promised to respond in, in this exact way if the king and the people disobeyed. Um, so you could have a look at chapter 12, verse 14 and verse 15. Um, where it says, if you do not obey the Lord, if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. So he's made that promise. Um, and then I wonder, uh, just as a final thought, does this situation bring us into the emotion and the heartbreak of what's just happened in 1 Samuel 15? God's king, the one who's supposed to lead God's people, disobeying um, his God. It's a terrible moment in 1 Samuel. So I'm sure you had other things to think through. There are a few thoughts and uh, we can carry on chatting about that over dinner if we want to. We don't want this to undermine uh, the truth that's presented in the Bible, which is why I wanted to raise it, because you might have had that question, um, that God never changes and his word never changes. His truth never changes. Now, I want to contrast that um, just in the last few minutes with ourselves and to think about how we're different um, to our creator God. So firstly, our character changes we know, don't we, that we change on the outside. Our hair recedes. Don't know where the mine is yet. You can tell me later. Go grey. Our height changes. That happened very rapidly for me in the, my younger years. Our weight changes. We gain wrinkles. Our noses can be knocked out of joint in rugby injuries. Any hands? That's happened to anyone here. But we also change on the inside, don't we? Our, our character changes, and sometimes not for the better. We might become more bitter as we grow older. We might become more lazy, more entrenched in patterns of sin, perhaps. Our love for people might wane. Our love for our church family, our love for our Lord Jesus. Our hearts change, don't they? Our character changes. We might notice these things in ourselves. We might notice these things in other people. The Christian ethicist Lewis Smeads uh, once talked about this in something he wrote about 40 years ago. Um, he wrote these words about marriage when he was 25 years into his own marriage, and it's here on the sheet. How could I know how much she would change over 25 years? How could I know how much I would change? My wife has lived with at least five different men since we were wed, and each of the five has been me. Now, I'm not sure about his life. I don't know whether those men got progressively better. We might hope so. Um, but it makes the point, doesn't it? We're changing people different from one day to the next, different from one year to the next. Our character changes. Secondly, our words change. Every word we speak, every promise we make has a TBC on it, doesn't it? To be confirmed. I might say to you um, at the end of Real Food tonight, see you next week. It's a TBC, isn't it? I might fall ill. Church might be cancelled because of another coronavirus outbreak. 
<laughs> we don't know, do we? Every word we speak has a TBC. And I'm sure we've all been let down by unfulfilled promises, rashly spoken words. I'm sure we've let others down too. Our words fail. We change our minds, we lie, we deceive. We can't depend on someone's words with absolute certainty. We can never ask someone to, to depend on our words either. We can never say to a human, another human being, I will never leave you or forsake you. Those words can only be said by God. Our character changes, our words change, and thirdly, our character changes. That's not a typo. We need to remember that even though the change in our hearts and the attitudes and and characters is sometimes for the worse, it can also be for the better by God's grace. We said earlier that the language of always and never can only ever be applied to God. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, he is always faithful, always true. He never fails. He never lies. And Jen Wilkin makes her point, uh, the point in her book, None Like Him, that we make that mistake of wrongly applying those words to human beings as well. So let me just give you some examples of the kind of things we might say or the kind of things that we might think. I'll never be rid of pornography. She never does the washing up. He always gets angry when things don't go his way. She always gossips behind people's backs. He will never get to a meeting on time. She will never become a Christian. Do you see how we wrongly apply language to ourselves that can only ever be applied to God? It's vital to remember that there is no always and there's no never for the Christian believer. Let me show you why from a few verses um, on the sheet. We could have gone to so many different places in the New Testament. Romans 12 Uh, verse 1. Therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Two words there in verse 2 that suggest real and radical change. Our lives can be transformed in view of God's mercy our minds can be renewed through the work of God's Spirit. There's always the expectation, always the prayerful confidence that God can and does and will change us. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Renewal again. God, by his remarkable power and grace, is renewing us inwardly day by day. As surely as our outward body is wasting away, receding hairline, going grey, getting creaky, just as surely as God working in us, preparing us for the new creation, transforming us to be more like his son Jesus. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Christian believers have put on a new self, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are being renewed now in knowledge after the image of God. The great immovable character of God is becoming more and more our character as God works in us. There is no always and never for the Christian. I think that's really helpful for us to remember. And of course, every Christian knows the one great change that has happened in our lives. And it's the change talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Have a look at those verses, verses 9 to 11. 
Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Incredible words at the start of verse 11, aren't they? That is what some of you were, but that is not who you are any longer. You have changed. You've been washed, sanctified, justified in the Lord Jesus. So if you're a Christian this evening, I want to say to you, there's always hope for change. You can apply that always to the Christian believer. There's always renewal that God is able to do by his grace, and there is never room for despair. Change can be a bad thing. It can be a regression for us. But by God's grace, it can also be a remarkable reality that God is transforming us, conforming us, renewing us in the image of the unchangeable God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. I think the Bible's teaching on God's unchangeable character can be an anchor for anchorless souls. A firm place in a world that seems so changeable, that is so changeable at the start about our longing for stability and I think God is the answer isn't he to all of those longings that we have he is the great immovable unchanging rock who will never fail never lie never go back on his word and never stop loving his people he's the same yesterday it's the same today it's the same forever his promises stand firm yesterday today and forever so will you build your life on him and his word We build it on the solid rock of God. We're going to sing these words uh, in our song in a moment. Uh, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Let me pray and then we'll stand and sing. Father, all the way through uh, the Bible, we read the words that you are a God who loves us with a steadfast love, an immovable love, a love that never changes. Father, we thank you so much that every word you've spoken to us and, and every word that is in your word, the Bible, is a word we can fully depend on. We thank you that there's no TBC with the promises that you make. We thank you that you always act on what you've spoken and you always fulfil what you've promised. Father, we pray uh, tonight for the things that we've been hearing as well about our character and about our uh, possibility of changing. Father, we sometimes don't feel that in our struggle with sin. We sometimes wrongly apply those words always and never to our own battle for godliness. But we thank you that by the Spirit, there is hope for change and renewal. Thank you for what you've done in us already by your grace. And thank you that you, what you will do in us again by your immeasurable grace. Father, we thank you that you are the unchangeable God who makes unchangeable promises to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.